Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden from the University of Johannesburg Center for African Diplomacy and Foreign Policy, who is now on his third week in Nagoya, Japan, wrapping up his lovely vacation. And so, a good evening to you. So nice to finally be sharing the same time zone. Yeah, it's fantastic. That、uh, well, as always on the show, we've got three topics, and this week we're going to delve back into U.S.-China-Africa relations, as the、uh, second consecutive. Uh, U.S. Secretary of State has now kind of implied that it is not a good idea for African countries to do business with China, implying, of course, that the United States is a better partner.、Uh, so John Kerry has made his tour、uh, in Africa and kind of started to kind of throw a few shots across the bow against the Chinese, and so we'll talk about that. We'll also kind of allude to、uh, what's coming up with、uh, U.S. President Barack Obama's upcoming visit to to Africa, and one stop he's going to make is following in the foot. Steps of his Chinese counterpart Xi Jinping, who made a visit to Tanzania. We'll talk about Tanzania and why it's important, and in particular, a Chinese-funded、uh, natural gas pipeline that's there and causing a whole bunch of problems. We'll talk about that. And finally, there's a, a cat fight going on, and nothing more enjoyable for us on the show than、uh, to kind of break down、uh, the the fight between Bill Gates and Zambian economist Dambisa Zam,、uh, Moyo. And so Bill Gates is in in one corner, kind of speaking on behalf of aid, and there you've got Dambisa Moyo sitting in the other corner, kind of、uh, talking about trade. And both are actually hurling insults at one another, and it's actually quite entertaining to watch. So I'll get Cobus's kind of take on that. So let's get started right off the top, Cobus, with.、Uh, What seems to be a theme coming out of the United States for the past ten years, and this theme is、uh, is all about that the, the Americans somehow are better、uh, business partners for Africa and better development partners. So, before I get your comments, let me let me just kind of set this up for everybody.、Uh, John Kerry he he appeared on BBC's kind of、uh, talk show called Hard Talk, and he wrote. Uh, I'm concerned that some of the involvement of some countries here, here of course is Africa, is not as transparent as the United States is, and some of it, in fact, can undermine democracy depending on how it's done. Now, John Kerry, of course, is the American top diplomat, so he was speaking very diplomatically.、Uh, everybody knows he was talking about the Chinese. He wasn't talking about the Brazilians. He wasn't talking about the Israelis. He was talking about the Chinese. So, Cobus, this feels like déjà vu all over again. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, kind of the host of the of the program actually bluntly asked him if if he's talking about China, and he said, "I'm talking about certain countries," you know. And then you see them like laughing in brackets, you know, kind of on the transcript. So,、um, yeah, it sounds very much like what Hillary Clinton was saying a while ago.、Um, you know, kind of also Hillary Clinton also took a kind of a dark aspersions kind of route,、um, and、uh, you know, kind of she also implied that、uh, that the Chinese are up to no good. That they shouldn't be trusted, and that the Americans are really, you know, kind of a, a more dependable partner. She said this, of course, in Senegal.、Uh, I think it was last year or the year before last, and and really warning again against、uh, you know African countries, you know, in, investing themselves too deeply with China. The reason why I find this just outrageous and hypocritical beyond any imagination is because there are no closer business partners than the United States and China. 
Uh, the United States has borrowed $1.2 trillion uh, from the Chinese. Uh, it has not corrupted the United States. American democracy is not under threat because it is doing business with the Chinese. And it, to me, it sounds extraordinarily paternalistic. It sounds arrogant, as if these small, petty, tiny, immature African governments are not able to make their own decisions in the, in their own best interests. Cobus, I mean, am I, you know, I'm not asking for validation here, but is this just not moronic to the highest level that how it's okay for the Americans to do all the business they want with with China and not worry about the threat to their democracy, but yet? you know, Senegal or any other country can't make its own decisions based on its own national interests? Exactly. And I mean, you know, also implying that, that you know, kind of that somehow having a free choice of, of partners in the marketplace, of the, you know, in the global marketplace, is somehow undermines democracy. Well, sticking with one partner for decades on end, that somehow will build democracy? I'm not sure exactly how that works. And, and here's a, let me kind of go back in some of, of Kerry's comments here. Uh, he said, China and Brazil have frankly been investing more in Africa than we have. That has to change. President Obama is coming to Africa next month. He's looking forward to the visit. So there he has, he's admitted that Brazil and China are more engaged in Africa. He's admitted that, you know, the United States has to play catch up. We've covered on the show in, in the debate that's going on in Washington. We've talked with uh, former Ambassador David Shin, uh, who says that on Capitol Hill, there's a very, very poor understanding of, of what's going on in, in Africa on, on the part of the House in particular. Uh, we've also talked about how the fact that, you know, the Chinese are much easier partners to deal with because, you know, a small African country goes to Beijing. He gets to deal with, you know, the foreign minister, the commerce minister, you know, and all the technology partners. When you go to Washington, you know, it's very, very disorganized and decentralized. So I guess for, for me, I look at, you know, who's a better partner and, and Cobus, let me just, you know, preface everything. I am, I am saying this more to be critical of the United States than to be pro-Chinese. The Chinese have enough problems and they have, there are definitely issues to be dealt with there. I just resent personally uh, the idea that the, the Americans kind of imply that they're better partners just because they're presumably democratic. Yes, and they also there seems to me a little bit, a little aspect of, you know, kind of, the, he's saying that they already are better partners, but the, in the same breath, he's basically saying they will be better partners in the future. You know, so you can't basically have both. You can't be saying that, that you know, kind of, that he acknowledges that China and Brazil are spending more and that Obama is looking forward to his visit and Obama is looking forward to enriching the the the, uh, the partnership and for that reason America already is a better partner. You know, you either are a better partner or you're not a better partner and you know kind of and, and it seems that you know kind of you, you can't you can't have the expectation of, of greater American engagement. You can't really play that off against Chinese engagement that already exists. Well this may have to do with perception here, in part because because China increasingly has much more of a commerce-oriented foreign policy, a trade-oriented foreign policy, whereas the United States has a much more militarized foreign policy. That is, if you look at our foreign policy in the Middle East, uh, it is, is heavily influenced by military considerations, certainly in South Asia, in Afghanistan and Pakistan, is a military-led foreign policy, and increasingly in Africa, where the perception in the United States is that the terrorism threat has now shifted to, to the Sahel region and to uh, the Maghreb in North 
North Africa. So, on the part of Americans, they may be thinking, well, we are investing more in military infrastructure in Africa. So let's kind of quickly go through the list. One, uh, I, and you, you sent me an article today that we're talking about these tiny little outposts uh, in the Gulf of Guinea, I think it is, where yes. in the Lusophone world, that's the Portuguese-speaking world, Sao Tome and Principe, uh, we're looking at uh, drone bases in Djibouti. We're looking at uh, Niger uh, having a drone base, Ethiopia having drone bases, uh, obviously military engagement in Mali, a billion dollars of military partnerships with Egypt. So in the part of maybe the Americans are thinking, well, we are better partners because this is how we're investing our money. It's not necessarily what Africans want, not necessarily what they need, but that might be the perception. And also, it's not necessarily that anything Africans can use, you know, kind of because you know the the the, the most difficult place on earth to to get into is an is an American military base, you know. So um, it's you know kind of it's difficult to compare that kind of infrastructure, even if they they uh, employ Africans, which I'm not sure they would, you know, kind of because Americans with for those kind of uh, military installations, they frequently tend to bring in all of their own personnel. Um, but even if they do that doesn't necessarily you know kind of translate into into infrastructure in the in in any kind of sense that helps africa well which you know kind of well china builds infrastructure that is mostly only used by africans you know kind of like all of the different soccer stadiums and and motorways and railways and ports and so on that the chinese are building are for use of by by africans so you know kind of it's even, even if that is a form of development, it doesn't really count, I think. Well, and what's interesting, too, is, and this is another theme of the show that we've had, is, again, the public perception across the continent. Uh, I've noticed in the past, I'd say, three to four months that China's perception is getting increasingly worse. Uh, there is definitely a, a hardening of the mood towards the Chinese, at least in the media. So I may fall victim to the same problems that aid data is by relying entirely on media. Uh, but at least in the media, there does seem to be a hardening of public perception against the Chinese. Uh, that said, it does not appear to me that there's an equal hardening against the United States, despite the fact that the United States seems to be going much more towards a military and oil strategy rather than any kind of humanitarian, social development, education, all of the different things that we've talked about that other countries, not just the Chinese, but other countries do much better and much more of. Yeah, no, I completely agree, and and, and it's puzzling. Um, you know, kind of. Um, I wonder if one reason is that people are just so used to America having such a kind of heavy military role in the world, so that they just they just kind of automatically discount it. You know, kind of when they think of America's role in the world, they just tend to not really think about the the kind of the weight of the military. Also, in terms of you know, Kerry made the point that that America is so much more transparent, but I'm like. How are they really so much more transparent? That, you know, kind of th thanks to kind of corporate law, um, American, um, uh, you know, American corporations' transactions with foreign governments have to be have to be more transparent than the Chinese, and they are more transparent than the Chinese. But in terms of the American military engagement, there's zero transparency. I mean, they don't say they don't dis disclose almost they disclose almost nothing of where the bases are, what they're building, why they're building it, why they chose that kind of area. Um, and I think people just automatically discount that because that's how the American military has been forever. 
Yeah, and honestly, as somebody who has done work with USAID personally, um, you know, if you if, if anybody thinks USAID is transparent, that's just absolutely laughable. The fifty thousand pages of paperwork that you have to do for each uh, for each project um, is 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 you know, if it's not intentionally designed to obfuscate, it actually achieves that objective. So it makes it difficult for anybody to look in on projects because of just the mountain of bureaucracy that's there, and any transparency on the part of of any African who is a from a, a you know a, a, an NGO or a, a civil society NGO to try and penetrate that that bureaucracy is extraordinarily difficult. So I, I I wouldn't I'm not a big fan of holding up American transparency. And again, let me cut people off at the pass. I am not. And I repeat, I am not standing here as an apologist for the Chinese. I am standing here as a critic of the Americans in what I think is an arrogant position that the United States does business with China, and yet it does not encourage others to do so on equal terms. And the United States is more dependent on China than almost any African country is right now. And I just find it irony that uh, that, that isn't addressed. Let's move on very quickly now. One of the key points of, of Kerry talking about Africa and kind of laying the groundwork is because his boss boss, Barack Obama, will be making his way to Africa uh, for what's been considered an overdue trip. And and bear in mind that Chinese President Xi Jinping, on his first overseas trip, he first went to Russia, and then he came to Africa for the BRICS summit, uh, really made it a point that this is a a priority for him. And among the three countries that he's going to visit is Tanzania. So he's first going to go, I think, to Senegal, he's going to go to South Africa, and he's going to go to Tanzania. Interesting, though, that Kobus, that you know, Obama picked the same country that President Xi picked, or Chairman Xi picked, uh, and Xi Jinping picked uh, Tanzania. And I can't figure out why both countries uh, were uh, both presidents put that same country on the list. On our Facebook page, uh, people were asking, and the only thing I could put forward uh, was, you know, one word: gas. Is there any other reason that you can think of that people that 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 uh, both Obama and Xi would would stop off in Tanzania? Yeah, no, gas would definitely be my first answer. Um, you know, kind of they, they found, I think what you said is, is 41... 41.7 trillion cubic feet of natural gas is now sitting off the coast of Tanzania. Yes. Um, and also Tanzania, um, Tanzania is sitting in the middle of, of a greater integrated Eastern African economic development zone or kind of informally, not, not maybe not a, not a formally designated one, but, you know, kind of an, an integrated region um, that is increasingly pulling in Mozambique, which also has a lot of gas and oil, and Kenya. Um, and there's also, um, you know, it's, it's one of um, East Africa's, one of the, I think their second, second biggest port is in, is in Dar es Salaam. Um, and they're building a massive new one with Chinese money. Um, so, you know, kind of it seems like, you know, kind of in the case of Obama, he's covering the south with South Africa, he's covering the west with Senegal, and then he's covering the east with, with Tanzania. Which I think is interesting with Tanzania is, is how it's becoming the darling of the great powers, in part because it is a more stable country. Uh, it is in, in many ways for China more strategically located because you don't have to go around, uh, you know, the, you know, if you're, if you're pulling your gas or your, in your oil from Angola, you obviously have to go around, you know, the Cape of South, you know, around Cape Town and around the bottom of South, uh, of South Africa there. So it cuts the journey down. Uh, it's also a strategic play with India, if you can think about that. So, uh, India has been, has long in, held interest in, in Eastern Africa. India, of course, is also searching for, for natural resources. China making a 
play there. So interesting how Tanzania, out of really seemingly out of nowhere, has become that darling. But Cobus, it's causing some problems domestically here. So the Chinese, they're building a port, they're building roads, and one of the things they're building is a massive LNG, liquid natural gas pipeline, to deliver. Uh, you know, these 41.7 trillion cubic feet of gas. Now that pipeline, and I'm going to, I'm going to hack the name on this one and I apologize, but Mutwara, is that where it's coming from? To Dar es Salaam? Did I say it right? Mutwara, I think. Mutwara, okay. It's taking it from the Mutara, the gas-rich Mutara region, all the way to the ports in Dar es Salaam, but that has prompted uh, an enormous amount of upheaval and unrest. Uh, tell us a little bit about why uh, people are so unhappy with this pipeline. Yes, I think the main thing to keep in mind is that the Chinese are a little bit of, of innocent bystanders in this in this whole fight. The fight isn't missed between the, the, the local community and the Chinese developer. The fight is mostly between the local community and the Tanzanian government. Um, the local community, it's a very gas-rich gas but quite poor area. Um, and um, they want the, the refinery to be built in that area and they want enhanced uh, profit sharing. Um, the, the government is saying no, you know, kind of we it's it, it it's a better investment for us to build the refinery in a place where you know kind of where all of the other services that is needed is already present and where it's close to the port where you know kind of for, for export. So they want to build the, the refinery in Dar es Salaam. So there were riots, I think in January um, about this issue, and then um, last week there were riots again. Um, according to the Tanzanian government, three people were killed by the police. Now, today, I saw um, uh, a Tanzanian NGO has actually said that 12 people were killed, so it's, it's, still, it's still kind of up in the air. Um, one of them being a pregnant woman, apparently, according to the, to the BBC. Um, and, you know, kind of there's a whole bunch of buildings burnt, and it was chaos pretty much, and it, it shut down the, the Tanzanian parliament for a day or two, even though that they then actually came back and voted in their same 2014 budget with the same, you know, kind of allotment for that for this development as they had planned before. So the, the Tanzanian government, they're not budging. And the China rule, of course, as, as Kobus said, is that they're more of a, of a bystander, a spectator in this, but they are funding the $1.2 billion gas pipeline, so they have a real interest in this. You know, Kobus, it reminds me a little bit of the debate that happened in Accra in the past, you know, I'd say you know, one to two years over their big find uh, uh, of, 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 I think it's oil and natural gas that's there and how the Chinese played a vital role in financing the exploration and also now the extraction of that natural gas. And I wonder if Tanzania is going to face some of the problems that Angola, Sudan, and Nigeria face with what's called the oil curse, that as oil comes into the into the economy now, huge amounts of money come in. Big players like the Americans and the Chinese now are there. Uh, does that disrupt the the, 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 the the peace that's been there in the political system? I think there's a chance that it might, um, particularly, you know, kind of in, in, in this case where there's uh, a strong perception in poor local communities that they're kind of being shafted by the government. Um, and obviously in the African case, you know, these communities frequently they have a case or, you know, or it's, it's a realistic fear rather. Um, I think that's definitely a danger and it's, it's going to be a challenge for African governments to handle that. Um, I think there they probably needs to be better, better communication. Um, the Minerals and Energy Minister um, in, in, 
the wake of all of this crisis, kind of announced that, you know, can anyone who protests this pipeline, they're not part of us. You know, whatever that means. You yeah. know, so they, they seem to be not, not be handling it very smoothly. I, and it would be interesting to see, of course, if this pipeline – uh, almost the same way that in the United States, the Keystone pipeline caused an enormous amount of uproar and political, uh, you know, you know, turmoil. That the Chinese, if they don't handle their own PR, could, this could brush off on them. And they, of course, the blame could be put at their at their doorstep. And we've talked about how the Chinese have an you know an inability to do effective. Uh, public relations on a consistent level, and this might be difficult. This might be that might be the challenges on the PR front. Um, we've also talked about how, in places like Chad, uh, CNPC, and some of the other Chinese oil companies are actually doing quite good corporate social responsibility programs. So it'll be interesting to watch the Chinese how they maneuver around this domestic turmoil. And Cobus, I mean, this presents the ultimate challenge for the Chinese, who, of course very pridefully say, we do not interfere in the internal affairs of other countries. You know, it's easy to say that when you don't have billions of dollars on the line, but I wonder if China will be tempted to start to interfere in a place like Tanzania, where they now have billions of dollars invested. Yeah, I mean, that also there's also the issue of, of the safety of their own workers, you know, and also the African workers. Um, you know, obviously laying a pipeline is a, is a massive job, and the workers are relatively vulnerable while they're doing it. It's not the easiest – it's not like a mine compound that you can easily, you know, kind of fence. So, yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be a complicated issue, um, and it'll be very interesting to see how they handle that if, you know, kind of if the security issues continue. I mean, Tan- Tanzania is generally – Generally, traditionally been quite a relatively peaceful place, so it might not, you know, it might not continue. But uh, yeah, it'll be very interesting. I mean, on the other hand, it's also interesting to see how it seems that Tanzania is kind of they going in a kind of an interesting direction, or maybe the newer African direction in the sense that they they're putting they, they're not putting all of their eggs in the China basket. So you know, kind of the a Chinese contractor they're building the pipeline, the upgrades um, to the uh, to the Tenasco um, state power company that is supposed to be using some of this gas to provide electricity. Keep in mind that that Tanzania only twenty one percent of Tanzanians actually have access to electricity, which is an awful you know kind of a very low amount. Um, but anyway, that, uh, the overhaul of that state power company is done by an American company called Symbian. And a, a bunch of it is being funded by the World Bank. So it seems like they're kind of you know, they're, they're not solely dependent on Chinese financing and Chinese companies. They seem to be, like, balancing the contracts out over a wide range. And that, that seems, like to me, like an, an interesting kind of approach. Well, it's an interesting point that you make, and, and really there's no better statement to, to Beijing than to say, hey, listen, you know, don't mess with us because I've got Obama coming next week and or this month. And so if you don't treat us well, we're going to go running back into the hands of the Americans. So, I mean, but this is what we have said all along is really the ideal scenario for any African state is to have choice and not to be dependent on any single power, not to necessarily kind of tie every relationship up with with one country or one region. So in some ways, Tanzania could represent uh, a, a, you know, a, a role model for how other African countries can really play the international community to, the, to its maximum benefit. Let's hope so.
Yeah, I mean, it's interesting the Tanzanian government, in the wake of all of this chaos, the one of one of the the people in the parliament kept like, hammering the Obama note, you know, kind of and saying that, you know, kind of, you know, reminding normal, you know, everyday Tanzanians that the White House knows about this deal and supports this deal, and Obama's on his way to kind of to come and you know kind of ratify the deal. So it's all very interesting. Nice. Well, listen, uh, this has been a, a topic of discussion that's been going on on our Facebook page. We're at facebook.com slash China Africa Project. We've got, we're closing in now, Kobus, can you believe it, on 75,000 fans. Uh, and what's really great about it is there's just an awesome discussion that's going on. Uh, so if you're interested in China-Africa relations in any side of the, the debate, whether you're, you know, pro, con, you know, if you're, uh, it doesn't matter. We're open to everybody. And, and we have this great debate and this great discussion that's going on and really provides the best opportunity to talk with largely Africans from across the continent. I would say that the vast majority of the people are young, mostly from North Africa, interestingly, but uh, we have a really a great discussion that's going on at facebook.com slash China Africa Project. Uh, and then if you speak Chinese, we've also got, uh, we have a Weibo feed going on. Eric Meister, he uh, is handling us, uh, our, our Weibo feed from uh, Guizhou, China. He's uh, kind of feeling the press uh, in, in China. And so he's, he's at weibo.com slash Zhongfei Xiangmu, that's China Africa Project in Pinyin, Zhongfei Xiangmu. Okay, Kobus, let's move on to our last topic of the day, and this to me is by far the one I've been looking forward to all week, uh, and it's really a catfight between uh, Bill Gates, yes, that Bill Gates, of Microsoft fame and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and uh, Dembi Samoyo, who's the Zambian economist, who's been really one of the biggest critics of aid, and has also been... Uh, I wouldn't call her a, a proponent or supporter of China, but really uh, uh, more, you know, in favor of of, a, of trade rather than aid, not only with China, but the rest of the world. So this all began when uh, Bill Gates was down in Australia and he fielded a question uh, from a student about dead aid, which, of course, was the book written by Dembi Samoyo. In his response, he did. He he just he really just laid it out very clearly, and you don't really hear this very much in this kind of, in this in this scenario. He basically called Moyo's book evil. Let's take a listen to what he said. Well, it depends on your value system. Uh, you know, over the last twenty years, the number of children who die in Africa every year has been cut in half. Um, and, you know, is that good or not good? It's, it's largely due to vaccines and the aid programs that have been there uh, in Africa. Uh, you know, I think that the, that book actually did damage generosity of rich world countries. Uh, you know, people have excused various cutbacks because of it. You read and the book, obviously. Did you, um, did actually, you find, yes. Did you, find anything, did you find anything in it of use? Uh, I found that... Uh, she didn't know much about aid and what aid was doing. And, you know, she is an aid critic. Uh, there's not many uh, because it's moralistically a tough position to take uh, given what aid has been able to do. Uh, but uh, I, if you look objectively at what aid has been able to do, you would never accuse it of, of creating dependency. Having children not die is not creating independency. Having children not be so sick they can't go to school, not having enough nutrition so their brains don't, don't develop, that is not a dependency. That's an evil thing. And books like that, are, they're promoting evil. 
There you go, Cobus, an aid critic. Well, you know that I'm you can I'm raising my hand right now. I'm in the camp of, of being an aid critic. I'm not a big fan of the Gate the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. I'm not a big fan of aid for a number of different reasons. I tend to agree with Moyo that it does create some dependencies, but boy, he said it was promoting evil. Did did that catch you by surprise? Yeah, it, it caught me by surprise. It was very interesting. Um, I, I, you know, among other, I mean, obviously she's very, she's increasingly prominent, and I, I just, you know, kind of thought that it reminded me so much, you know, kind of when John Walters premiered Pink Flamingos, and you know, Roger Ebert called it, you know, kind of the most vile movie ever made, and John Walters put that on all his posters. It's like this is, you know, this is the best blurb that Dumbi Samoya could possibly get. Um, I think, you know, kind of, it, it seemed to me that the two of them have different kind of time scales um, in, in in mind. Um, you know, I think she thinks very long term, and you know, she, she's she, you know, she tends as an economist, she tends to look over quite kind of long historical eras. Um, you know, kind of, and I, I I agree with her that long term aid tends to produce dependency. Um, I think. Gates tends to look at shorter terms and, th- and keeping in mind, you know, kind of thinking that if we withdraw all of this money now, all of these kids that are now kids that are, have already been born and are sick at the moment will die. You know, kind of, so it's two different ideas of, of the, you know, the short-term future versus the long-term future in Africa. But I, like you, I tend to come down a little bit more on Moyo's side. Well, Moyo gets, let's just say that she's not without a blemish here either. In fact, you know, a lot of the criticism we saw on our page, we posted a couple stories uh, about Moya in the past couple of weeks, and, and a number of people came out and basically said, "Listen, she doesn't represent Africa. Uh, this is a woman who is, you know, who, who spends most of her time in the, in the United States, lives in London, doesn't live in Zambia, uh, doesn't really spend a lot of time living with the consequences of Chinese investment. Uh, you know, not living with the pollution, not living with the effect that it's having on local business, not living with the with the corruption that it may be causing, you know, amongst the leadership. So a lot." Of people kind of calling her out and saying, "Wait, you're you may not be the best representative here to to talk about this." But let's now lay out her point of view. And what she basically said is that at the end of the day, people don't need handouts, and those handouts create the dependencies that Cobus kind of talked about. What they need are jobs and trade and investment. And at the end of the day, China is providing that. So ultimately, China is providing what Africans want. Let's take a listen. Well, first of all, I think it's complete rubbish, the notion that the Chinese would be trying to colonize Africa. I mean, it's just completely absurd. And it's one of these things that when they're talking about China being the largest lender, foreign lender to the United States government, nobody's worried about the Chinese sort of colonizing the United States. But the reason I discount the neocolonial argument is that I think the Chinese have a massive problem at their own doorstep. They've got to continue to... to um, move people out of poverty. They've got 300 million people that live like us, so to speak, Western standards. A billion people, um, which is more than the population of Africa, living in, pov- in poverty. So in absolute terms, China is worse off um, in terms of sheer number of people living in poverty than even Africa. The notion that they would want to colonize is, is, just, is irrelevant. It's, not, it's, not, it's just not, not valid at all. Their purpose in Africa is to, to continue to drive their industrialization process. And even then, and of course the industrialization process fueled by commodities and inputs, but even then, if you spend time in Africa, the Chinese are diversifying away from commodities. They're investing in banks. They've got a 20% stake in one of the big banks in Africa. They're doing a lot of other things that are outside 
of the commodity story. So I think that they're giving these countries what they want. These countries need trade, they need jobs, they need investment. We will provide that for you. In return, we would like to have access to natural resources at the very basic level. But there's no altruism. It's just self-interest. Not, not, not an ounce of altruism, yeah. nor necessarily should there be. No altruism and nor should there be. Those are her final words there in that soundbite. Uh, so when she was talking with Jacob Weisberg of Slate magazine, um, no altruism. So what, you know, now we see, we hear both sides, Cobus. You know, one is really in, prefer- in preference of trade. One saying aid is doing a lot of great things. What do people take away from this debate? Yeah, I think, you know, kind of what people take away is that, or what what I hope they'll take away is that they need to look at aid more, much more closely. And they need to look at what is actually paid and what is actually received. Um, you know, I sent around an article um, to you, and I, I will post that as well, that uh, a new um, a new study came out from an independent um, aid study, aid um what do you call it, like a, like a kind of a, uh, you know, study center um, called Development Initiatives. Um, and they actually, re- they, they factored in what developing countries pay back in, in interests on loans against what is actually paid out, you know, as aid. And they found that in certain cases, particularly in the case of Japan, interestingly enough, Japan actually makes more money from aid than they pay out. They actually get more money back in interest on loans that they that they that they paid out before, like decades ago, um, than they actually pay out in official development aid at the moment. So, and and that's apparently true for France and Germany as well. So, you know, kind of like the aid, the whole aid system is incredibly complicated, and you know, kind of, I, it's I think it's a mistake to just you know blithely kind of take the kind of Bill Gates side and saying that you know kind of if the aid system changes, all of these kids are just going to die. I think it's you know one one. It's to be more nuanced. Well, and I think it's interesting about this debate between Moyo and Gates is, is and Moyo I think has a point here where she she was really puzzled why Gates personalized this, and and I think it goes to Gates's point, which says there really aren't that many critics of the aid business. I mean, I have to say that you know I only know a, a handful of people who who feel as passionately as I do that that aid and the way that aid is done in Africa is is just so corrupt uh, from from top to bottom, and really isn't about helping people. It's about chasing money in places like Washington, Brussels, and Tokyo. Um, and, and so I thought that, you know, and this is the, the reaction that Bill Gates had was very much the reaction that I've had when I talk with aid workers about the Chinese or about alternate ways of delivering aid and, and effectiveness of, of trying to, you know, change people's lives and improve people's lives. And they get very, very defensive very quickly. So ultimately, the best thing, in my opinion, is that this debate is actually starting to happen. So I don't know if Moya was putting on airs and, you know, kind of feeling indignant on her blog when she talked about how, you know, how dare, you know, Bill Gates personalize this. But really, that's the best thing that could be happening for this discussion. Because what's really needed in Africa is a debate about whether or not it's good to be uh, dependent on aid or dependent on trade or dealing with the Chinese or dealing with the Americans. And this is exactly the kind of discussion we haven't had for generations. Yeah, I, I was surprised not so much that that he personalized it, but that he went into such kind of emotive language. It, there was a tinge of hysteria to me, for me, about about kind of what he was saying. You know, kind of um, there was a feeling of like, if you disagree with me, you're evil. You know, kind of like I, I only, you know, I, I represent morality. 
Um, and to, to disagree with me or to question what I'm doing is inherently immoral, which is a very unhelpful kind of position to take. Well, it's also interesting. I, I'm kind of skeptical that policymakers and major governments made a decision to, to cut back on aid based on one book. I, I find that <laughs> very, very hard to believe because, you know, the constituencies involved in policy decisions like this, particularly in a place like the U.S. or in Brussels, um, are, are vastly larger than anything that one book can influence. So, I mean, that's giving Moyo an enormous amount of credit that I am not sure she deserves. Um, and so, so I think that that was another point. But it's interesting that you said that, Cobus, because one of the experiences that I've had, you know, living in developing countries, whether it's, you know, here in Vietnam where I live today, but also in, in the DRC or in China, when I meet with aid workers and you, you, you kind of propose any alternative to what the current model is, they react, in my experience, and this is just my own anecdotal experience, with that same type of indignation. And I have, in my, in my experience, I have, I've met two people that are as self-righteous as aid workers, and those are Christian conservative Republicans in the United States and people involved in the aid business. Because they have this mindset that says, you know, morality and God are on our side, basically. Well, God for the Christian conservatives, morality for, um, for the aid workers and the aid business, and it promotes an industry that, it, to me, is, is fundamentally corrupt, even though... As Gates says, it does do some good things, but you know, you know, I mean, you can't judge it based on the thing on the few things that it does well, and then look at the corruption that exists everywhere else and undermines you know so much. So, um, you know, so I definitely fall on that Dembisa Moyo side. But I think it's an interesting discussion. Any final thoughts on this? Yeah, you know, kind of what really, you know, I think, but this is this is uh, this is a bit of my, uh, bugbear that I tend to to always kind of bring up. But and in the same Slate interview, um, Moyo said that she, what she really wants is for African leaders to be treated like adults, um, and for them to be, you know, to to face consequences for bad decisions and to be, you know, to, to carry the the responsibility to manage their governments and their societies. You know, as as they should, as because they are governments. Um, you know, so what underlies some of what Bill Gates said is this assumption that Africa is always going to be in crisis. You know, kind of Africa equals crisis, um, and that you know, kind of that if if you know, co constant application of aid, if that stops, the crisis is just going to, you know, kind of circle out of control because there, there is something inherently lacking in African societies that makes it impossible to really manage them. That seems to be, the, I might be overreading this, but this seems to be the logic that's underneath that. And that's exactly what Moyo is saying. It's like, why is it, why should it be like this? Why can't they be, you know, kind of be, why can't they manage the systems? Why can't they be held responsible? Um, you know, kind of, but again, I think it's probably it, it is two people. You know, kind of one looking at the the very recent, very very close future, and one looking at much further away. Well, it's interesting that you bring this point up, and, and it really circles back to our first conversation about you know some of the hypocrisy that we see coming out of the United States. Of course, you know, you know, African governments dealing with China should be wary, but of course, it's okay for the United States to deal with China. China is the number one trade partner with the European Union. That's fine, but the Europeans. Uh, from David Cameron down, are warning Africans not to deal with the Chinese or to be wary of dealing with the Chinese. Uh, and yet, you know, we see, for example, on the on the on the transparency and democracy front, uh, you know, Howard French wrote an article last year talking about how you know the United States has been big supporters of uh, Museveni in in Uganda and also in Burkina Faso, the government there. They haven't had an election in 25 years. 
Um, so this is the hypocrisy and the inconsistency that you see when they're talking about you know an aid-led foreign policy or a morality-driven foreign policy about ideals of democracy, civil society, you know humanitarianism. But at the end of the day, their interests exceed their values in terms of what they're willing to do. So that's why I think it's worth questioning the aid side of this a little bit more. Um, I don't think that you know Moyo's above reproach. Um, finally, just a little kind of side note, Cobus, we've actually invited her on the show. She apparently, quote unquote, her publicist, you know, was the rudest person you've ever met, said <laughs> her publicist said she doesn't do podcasts. So uh-huh. to the uh, to about the 10,000 people a week who are downloading our podcast right now, you'll never hear Dembisa Moyo on our show because her publicist will never come on. <laughs> I think we have a better chance of getting Bill Gates to come on the show than we do to get Dembisa Moyo. Uh, we'll we'll send them mail. Like we'll send, we'll send them both mail. You know, maybe we'll be lucky. <laughs> Let's see if it happens. So, uh, well, that'll do it for this edition of the uh, the China and Africa podcast. Kobus, it's been uh, it's been a while since it's just been you and me. So uh, it's always nice. Um, we're going to be back again next week. We're going to try and get uh, Eric Meister, who's going to be uh, our guest next week. We tried to have him on the show tonight. Eric is uh, is the community manager of our Weibo page in China. He's basically keeping an eye on the Chinese language media. He's putting it out on Weibo. You can follow his work at weibo.com slash that is the China Africa Project in Chinese because one of the things that we're trying to do is really bring these communities together, bring the African ideas and some of the international media ideas that are not available in China and put them into, into Chinese and then conversely bring some of the Chinese media. Eric is doing some fantastic work on translations of Chinese media and bring that to an African audience so people can actually see what's going on beyond you know getting past some of the language issues so uh if you speak chinese you can find him uh, on weibo uh for those of you who speak english kobus where can people find you on twitter I'm on Twitter at Stadenesk. That's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And you can find me on Twitter as well at E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. I'm tweeting almost every day. Uh, more importantly, though, you can follow both Kobus and I on Facebook at facebook.com slash China Africa Project. Again, our community is incredible at 75,000. We're very proud of that and very proud of the community that we've got and the, just the intelligent discussion that's going on. So there's no better place for you to participate. Uh, if you would like to follow this podcast, there's a number of different ways that you can do that. You can find us on the BlackBerry Network in South Africa. You can find us on Stitcher. We're on SoundCloud and also, of course, on iTunes. We'll be back again next week with another edition of the show. Until then, thank you so much for listening. <laughs>